This week on the Dylan and Dylan Show, the Out of the Box Draft covers the best mid-majors in NBA history. Question A covers the A.J. Brown trade as well as a look at the NHL as a major sport. This week in sports covers the NBA playoffs, takeaways, and picks for each of these series remaining in the NBA playoffs. Welcome back to the Dylan and Dylan Show presented by Television Sports. Excited to get back into it for this Friday, May 5th edition of the show. DJ Dylan Jesperson, as always, leading you off here, joined as my with my main man, D.H. Dylan Holt. Dylan, how are you doing? It's Friday, May 6th, Dylan. Today's May 5th, Cinco de Mayo. We're recording on Cinco de Mayo. Happy uh, belated Cinco de Mayo to all the listeners. Um, I have to say... Today, I watched the first 50 minutes of the movie, the Pixar movie, Luca, like five times with fifth and fourth graders. It is not about Luca Doncic. I had no idea what the movie is about. Not about Luca, an Italian fish boy. If you haven't seen it, the first 50 minutes, subpar, uh, sub, sub, spectacular. I don't know. I about said subpar. It's not subpar. My, my brain left me for a second, but it's spectacular. I, I enjoyed it a lot. Pixar doesn't miss. This isn't a movie podcast, though. We're talking sports. Lots of stuff going on. Uh, we're going to get into the draft, uh, the NFL draft stuff. I, I made a lot of claims last week uh, blindfolded as we recorded before the draft, and boy, oh, boy, did I look silly. Uh, but we're going to talk about that later with our friend Blake Beasley. He's back on the show. And we're going to talk about the NBA. A lot of stuff going on in the NBA. Obviously, the NBA playoffs are here. We're in the second round, and it's so sick. I love the NBA playoffs, and they're just heating up. The second round, every game gets like their time and the spotlight, and it's just the best. And we're going to get into it later. Everything's going so well. I'm not. I'm. I'm getting better by the day from what happened at the draft, and I'm doing good. How are you doing? I'm doing all right. As you know, I've been a bit under weather for the past couple of days, but nothing makes me feel better than sitting down and talking sports with my main man, DH. Uh, Yeah, obviously we went into that podcast last week a bit blindfolded and it did come back to bite us a little bit. And you might see a, a bit of a change in our programming around bigger events coming soon because of that. So, uh, but first a reminder to subscribe, rate and review the podcast, wherever you are listening. It helps us out a ton this week. We have a big playoff series in the NBA second round. Obviously, it's big for everyone, but it's especially big for the Dylan and Dylan show because Dylan's Grizzlies and John Morant are taking on the Steph Curry-led Warriors, two of possibly the best mid-major talents to ever play the game. And that's that's saying a lot, even in Josh's second year. Uh, we thought it would be a very good time to do an out-of-the-box draft of the best mid-major talents in NBA history. Uh, a big pool of players to choose from in this in this draft uh do you have a coin i do not okay perfect give me a sec i uh i failed you i did not bring my wallet to record i, I should have had it I, I emptied my pockets i got home from work 
I put on, I took off those darn khakis. And I was like, give me my Adidas shorts. I'm getting comfortable to record. I've got my notes. I'm ready to go. You've got your coin. You know what I'm going heads. You're all good because I have a special coin. This is actually a silver dollar that I have. Oh, there we go. I'm still going heads. <laughs> all right, here we go. It is a tail. Oh, that's a shame. There's a nice flying eagle. Right there. <laughs> that's a shame. I am going to take the first pick if that is all right with you. Well, you won, so you get it. All right. With my first pick at the point guard spot, I'm going with Stephen Curry. I got it. I think he is possibly the best, if not the best mid-major player to ever play the game. Uh, the way that he has revolutionized the point guard spot is ridiculous. Uh, the way that the game is played right now is almost directly related to how Steph dominated those two years when he was the MVP. Uh, so many guys have become the their version of Steph Curry. They're trying to emulate the Steph Curry type game. Uh, and it all started back at Davidson and we all knew it. We all saw it. It's, I think it's the best pick because we all saw both sides of it. We all saw him at Davidson, awesome mid-major player. Then we saw him come to the league. He's been an awesome player ever since. There's a large list of very, 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 very good players that played at mid-major programs in the NBA. I still think Steph might be on the top of that list. Uh, So I'll take him in my point guard slot. I'll throw it to you for your first two picks. Okay. Before I I do my first two picks, are we doing all time? Because I prepared for current day. If we're doing all time, it's fine. I'll just audible in my brain. I do have all time written down. That's fine. I can audible. It's fine. All right. With my first pick, it doesn't change my first pick at all. I'm going John Morant from Murray State University. I've I've been privileged enough in my life to watch multiple NBA point guards play in Murray, Kentucky, at at Murray State University, my alma mater. And watching Isaiah Cannon as a middle schooler and a high schooler was awesome. Isaiah was electric. He's the prototypical mid-major star. Could shoot threes, pass the basketball. He's just electric. Could do it all. As a freshman, hit a half-court shot from his knees. Then campaign came along. It kind of changed the game. He played like an NBA player. And after two years, Cam was gone, lottery pick to the Oklahoma City Thunder. And then a couple years went by, and then Murray got a guy from Dazzle, South Carolina, Ja Morant. And from the first time I saw Ja, I was like, yeah, this guy's special. Just the way he moves on the court. He was really, really small as a freshman at Murray State. He's still pretty small in the NBA, but he's put on a lot of weight. And just the way Ja moves on the court, the, the things he's able to do, it's spectacular. And we've seen it in this series with Golden State in the second round. It's just incredible. Um, I I love that he's become a legit superstar. And in game two, I'm going to get into this later, but the fact that Ja had the game he had in game two instead of game one infuriates me. And I'm going to get into that later. That's what we call a little tease here on the Dylan and Dylan show. Um, But yeah, Ja's emerged as an absolute superstar. Steph, I agree, is probably the best mid-major point guard of all time. But in my mind, it's Ja because I'm, Biased as ever. And um, I think Ja, I mean, in his third year, he has time to catch up to Steph. I really believe that. And Ja and the Grizzlies, Steph and the Warriors, I'm going to get into this later as well. It's emerging as a really good rivalry. And it's a lot of fun to see that it's two mid-major guys that are leading them into this. And uh, it's just really cool because the pride that uh, mid-major fans have for their for their guys is it's something else. And I know David Davidson fans probably feel the exact same about Steph as Murray fans do about John. It's just really, really cool. Um, so yeah, John at the one was a no brainer for me. Uh, I'm going to go to the three, the small forward position. I'm going Larry bird from Indiana state. And like I said earlier, 
I I had just current day guys on my list. Larry Bird's a no brainer. That's one like that's like the audible. I got to get Larry Bird, Indiana State mid major guy. Obviously went to the national championship, played against Magic Johnson in the national championship, and then was the man in the NBA. If you go to a random person on the street and say, "Hey, can you name an NBA player?" They're gonna say either Larry Bird, Magic Johnson, Michael Jordan, or Kobe Bryant. That's the four they say. It's like no doubt that's what they say. My grandma knows like two basketball players, and it's Larry Bird and John Moran. So I, Grandma, I hope you're happy. I got Larry and Ja in my mid-major draft. That's my first two picks. I'll throw it to you for your next two. Love it. Love those picks. I'm happy that you did have an audible ready to go there uh, for that because I felt a little bad that we were going all time all of a sudden. But obviously great picks. I thought you would probably go job, but I still wanted to take Steph just because I still thought he was the best. And if there was any chance that you would take him, I didn't want that to happen. Larry Bird was going to be my next pick, but I do have a great alternate for the small forward spot. It's Dr. J, Julius Irving. The man, maybe more of an ABA guy uh, and mostly known for what he did in the ABA, but obviously one of the greats of all time. When you think of when you think of old time basketball in the 70s, 80s times, Dr. J is the first guy that comes to your mind. Uh, and he was out of UMass. Uh, he was a Minuteman, uh, one of the few places. Uh, I mean, that's like mid-major of mid-major. I, I don't even know. Uh, I know UMass was in the MAC at one point. I don't even know what conference they're in now. Uh, they they are the mid. I believe they're still in the MAC. I believe so. I yeah. I think they, but I don't even know. I don't. I, I couldn't be sure because I haven't heard from them in a long time. UMass is the mid major of all mid majors, uh, and the fact that Dr. J went there is pretty wild to me. Uh, obviously, basketball was a little bit different back then. Uh, a lot more mid majors were making it to the pros, but still, I mean, Dr. J he was the type of guy that you would expect to be dominating at a North Carolina or a Duke. So the fact that he came from a UMass makes it easy pick for me to go at the small forward uh, at, with my next pick. Uh, it's a bit, no, I'll go center. I'm going to go, I'm going to save my two guard for a little bit. I'm going to go center. Uh, the, I think this is the easy pick David Robinson from Navy. Uh, very, I mean, one of the top centers of all time. And when you talk about the top centers from not just the nineties, but all time, it goes like Akeem Olajuwon and then David Robinson. Uh, David Robinson was the admiral. He was the guy uh, and also was in the Navy. I mean, that's one of the coolest things about David Robinson, not just went to Navy, but was in the Navy and then came back, had a Hall of Fame career with the Spurs. He was the start of that Spurs dynasty, which is wild to think about how long that dynasty lasted. And David Robinson was the start of it. But yeah, I mean, he paved the way for what it was like to be just like the the prototypical great big man, David Robinson was that guy. And again, to come from a place like Navy, uh, I, I think it makes sense, but it's also still so wild when guys from those military academies end up finding their way into the league and dominating the way that they do. It's so rare. It's very rare. So to see someone not only do that, but do it at like the highest level of all basketball players, it's something special. I got to have them on my team. So I'll throw it to you for your next two picks. I had no idea that Dr. J went to UMass. Would have never guessed that. Like, if you would have like came on here and said, "What college did Dr. J go to?" I would have been like, "I don't know, Alabama, uh, Kentucky, LSU. I don't know." And so, him going to UMass that blows my mind. Did not know that. And David Robinson is one heck of a pick. And I would not have thought of David. I knew he went to Navy. He did not come to mind. Um, and I'm glad you went, David Robinson, because I have a center pick. 
for a mid-major, and it's Bill Russell going back to the 50s from San Francisco, the University of San Francisco, which is very relevant to any Murray listeners because Murray just beat San Francisco like a month ago, two months ago. Now it's May. Holy cow. Um, and, I mean, he was the man in San Francisco and the man with the Boston Celtics, won two national championships, I believe. It was like mid-50s for uh, San Francisco and then went to the NBA and uh, was the man. What, 11 rings in the NBA, an all-time great. I mean, it's Bill Russell. He's still iconic. Whenever he's at an event, it's old man Bill, and you never know what he's going to do in the crowd. He's like flipping the bird and doing all these things. He's just absolutely electric, and you have to love Bill Russell. Um, I I think a matchup between Bill Russell and David Robinson down low would just be amazing, and I think everyone would love to see it. So I'm really, really happy to get Bill Russell from San Francisco. Then with my next pick, I'm going to slide Larry Bird to power forward, and I'm going to get another forward. Um, cause this is college basketball positions don't exist anymore. I know we're talking to NBA guys, but like the positions, even in NBA, the position that doesn't really matter. You're a forward, you're a forward. Um, I'm getting Kawhi Leonard from San Diego state university, uh, San Diego state, especially when Kawhi was there. They were so good. They're almost like, weren't like a mid-major. It's kind of Gonzaga, but they are. So I'm, I'm going to take him. I mean, it's Kawhi Leonard, everything he's done from in college where he was awesome at San Diego state slipped out of the lottery to the Spurs or it was the Pacers pick for the Spurs trade for We all know the history. Uh, and then went to the Spurs, won a finals MVP uh, and then went to the Raptors, did the whole thing where, you know, he beat the Warriors. And then now he's on his track with the Clippers and Kawhi and his NBA career has been so weird. There's been injuries. There's been times where it's like, it's Kawhi the best player in the world. And then there's times where people just forget about Kawhi. It's a, it's a really, really unique situation with him. But I, I think he's definitely climbed the ranks of being able to he's, – he's in that realm of he's one of the best mid-major players to ever make the jump to the NBA. And he's in this, the realm with the Jaws and the Bill Russells, the Dr. Js, the Larry Birds. I, I think he belongs in there. And adding that to uh, the wing situation with him and Larry Bird with Bill Russell down low and Jaw at point and whoever I put at the two – I'm all about it. I love Kawhi. If you've listened to the show, you know I'm all about Kawhi Leonard. I'm very, very happy. Tag Kawhi as my three and Bill Russell as my five. Uh, I'll throw it to you for your you have two more picks. My last two pick? picks here. I got right, to get my four and I got to get my two. Uh, the two guard is a little bit interesting. I'm going to have to make a decision there. The four spot, I'm very glad I left this until now, and I'm very glad you didn't take the guy that I wanted to take because it's Carl Malone. It's the best power forward of all time. Carl Malone went to Louisiana Tech. The mailman is on, is is a draftable player. You got to get him. I, I kind of left him until now because I, I was thinking maybe I would do the same thing. I kind of might bump someone up to the four spot. But Louisiana Tech, uh, to produce a man like Carl Malone, I mean, just think about two-time MVP, 14-time All-Star, 11-time NBA first team. Uh, he was a three-time defensive first-team player. Uh, I mean, he was a part of the NBA 50 team. He was a part of the NBA 75 team. Uh, he, is the, he has the third most points in NBA history. The man was just the prototypical power forward, and I think he's probably, like, number one of the guys that didn't get a ring because Michael was in the league at the time. He probably had two or three secured had Michael not been on the Bulls and beating his Utah Jazz back then. So, uh more than happy to slide Carl Malone into my four slot uh, with my two pick. It, it, it's a very, it's, it's not straightforward. There's a lot of two, different two guards, but there's some guys you might want to slide down. And I think I'm going to, because Paul George 
out of college was a two guard for the Indiana Pacers. And I think if I can slide a six, nine Paul George into my two slot, I'm going to have the biggest lineup of all time. And uh, so I'm happy to take Paul George out of Fresno state, uh, Kawhi Leonard's teammate, obviously in LA now. Uh, but when he was in Indiana, he was one of the, he was one of the most fun players to watch when he was a young player in Indiana, because he was the, the guy in a, in a situation where you didn't expect a guy with his size and his frame to be able to shoot the way he did to drive the rim, the way he did Paul George, just like kind of reinvigorated this love of like six, nine small forwards, those lanky guys that can do it all uh, because he's just so different in what he can do. He's a seven time all-star first team NBA in 2019 uh, and most improved player in 2013. I mean, he's not an all-timer yet. I think, he still has time to get something done in LA and him cement his legacy alongside Kawhi. Uh, But in terms of, you know, what he can do as a two guard, I I think it makes him just that much more incredible. So I'll take Paul George. I'll take David Robinson or Carl Malone. I'm sorry. And I'll throw it to you for your last two picks. No comment on Carl Malone. (laughs) It's Carl Malone. He was very good at basketball, but (laughs) yeah. Uh, Paul George at the two. There was a wrinkle into what I wanted to do with my two because I was just going to pick another point guard. And Paul George, man, that's a matchup nightmare if I pick another point guard. Uh, but I'm going to because he's one of my favorite players of all time and I want him on my team. And I think I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make Jaw the two and make this guy the point. And it's Steve Nash out of Santa Clara. And Steve Nash, he's the, I've told this story on the show before. He's the guy that got me into basketball. And just the idea of a backcourt with Steve Nash and John Moran, I'm all about it. And I figured they can run a zone or something. They'll make it work. And when you're on offense, Jaw will just run around Paul George. I have full faith. I've seen him do it. He, he runs around everybody. So I think that'd be fine. And I get Steve Nash. I mean, he, he's the man. He's my. He's not my favorite player ever. He was. And he's the guy that got me into basketball. I just Steve Nash is the man. I, getting him, that's like a sentimental pick. And he's an all-time great. So it's a no-brainer. So, yeah, Steve Nash, John Morant, Larry Bird, um, or Kawhi Leonard, Larry Bird, and Bill Russell is my mid-major starting five that made it to the NBA. Uh, Did you have any honorable mentions? Yeah, absolutely. A lot of them got picked because, like, this is a very top-heavy draft. A lot of these guys jump off the page when you look at the list. So, obviously, Steve Nash was my backup point guard. Uh, I had to go Dr. J with my backup uh, three my backup two was going to be George Gervin only because he went to Eastern Michigan which is very interesting uh, not many successful athletic stories come out of Eastern Michigan University so George Gervin the Iceman would would have been my other two guard if I couldn't have taken uh Paul George uh then and then, then my backup five was Bob Lanier uh out of St. Bonaventure but also a great Detroit Piston in his days any alternates that didn't make your list I have quite a few alternates because my list was a modern day guys. Uh, I had Pascal Siakam from New Mexico State University, Fred Van Vliet, Toronto Raptors teammate from Wichita State, CJ McCollum from Lehigh, Rashawn Holmes from Bowling Green State. I'll tell you, I, I got deep cuts on this. Campaign from Murray State. I wanted to fit Cam in, but when we went out, when I heard all the time, I was like, yeah, sorry, Cam, not fit you, fitting you in here. Uh, Jane McDaniels from San Diego State, and then Doug McDermott. Creighton, I, uh, I mean, Doug didn't, hasn't had the best NBA career, but he's still kicking, and he was awesome in college. So yeah, I, I had to pick up Dougie. And I have to mention this because I thought of this while I was making my list. 
I think it becomes really easy to pick a player when you're like, I don't have to write his last name. Like when I write my notes, I'm like, oh yeah, it's Ja or Steph. And Paul George, I just put PG, Kawhi. You know who I'm talking about. It's Kawhi. And then he gets guys where it's like, if I just write Fred, like, I don't know who that is. I got to write Fred Van Vliet. CJ, like, I know I'd say CJ, but if you just showed someone that, they wouldn't know you're talking about CJ. So I think that's where you can create levels to it, where you got these generational guys, the guys that just, they pop off the, the paper or the screen. And I think it's the guys that go by one name. I think that's interesting. That's something I would love to de- dive deeper into sometime. I, I just think the one name, you see it, and you're like, oh, that he's a superstar. I don't know. I think there's something with that. Yeah, and then the other side of that is the guys like David Robinson who have the most common name. But if you say David Robinson, everyone thinks of the, the Spurs center. There's no other David Robinson that comes to mind. Uh, before we move on, I just want to say, because I know if Damian Lillard somehow hears this and doesn't get mentioned, we would probably be in trouble. So Damian Lillard was also an alternate. I actually had him written down as my backup point guard, and then I saw Steve Nash's name and, and took him off. But yeah, if if Dame saw this somehow and we didn't mention him, I feel like our careers would probably be over. He would somehow figure out a, a way to get us kicked off. <laughs> Dame, I did this off the dome. I completely forgot about Weber State and Damian Lillard. That is hand up. I just forgot. That's my bad. I put John Steph's name down. I was like, all right, got my point guards. I'm good. <laughs> my B name. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, awesome stuff as always. We'll get that uh, poll up for you on Monday, starting the new thing that we're doing with the out-of-the-box drafts. Polls will be on Monday, uh, so you can get a, a couple of days to, to figure out what the lineups are and then a couple of days to vote on it as well. So look out for that on Monday on Twitter. Uh, we will move on to the question and answer this week. We had a special guest come on for Dylan's question. He and our resident Eagles fan, Blake Beasley, talked about the big trade that happened on draft night between Dylan's Tennessee Titans and Blake's Philadelphia Eagles. We'll cut to that real quick. All right. We have a special guest on the podcast coming back. It's been a while. I know we've had him on before. I I didn't go back to see how long it has actually been, but we got to have Blake Beasley on the podcast today to discuss a very pressing issue uh, in the Dylan and Dylan world. Blake, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. I mean, things obviously have been going pretty well for me as an Eagles fan. And then just in general, I'm happy to be back on the show. Absolutely. Happy to have you back, Dylan. Uh, I know how you're doing, but just give the listeners a bit of a feeling of how you're doing uh, post a draft night feels right now. I'm doing a lot better today than I was a week ago. And I think that's how I'm going to go with what we're going to talk about the subject. Cause man, when it happened, I was in the dumps. I, Oh man, you can read the, my article I wrote on TV and you'll, you'll get kind of the picture of, man, it, it kind of came out of nowhere in my head. If you listen to the show, you know I did not expect A.J. Brown to be traded. That's what we're talking about, surprise, the A.J. Brown trade. I didn't expect him to be traded, so it kind of came out of nowhere in my head. And, man, I, I'm better now, better now. Um, but I reckon we'll just jump into it. Obviously, me, a Titans fan, you all know that. Blake is an Eagles fan, so I was like, this is perfect. I can talk to Blake. We can bring him back on the show, and we can just talk about all A.J. Brown. So I just want to start straight off. What were your thoughts on the A.J. Brown – or actually, rewind. What were your thoughts about A.J. Brown before the trade? So just A.J. Brown, the Tennessee Titan. Um, it, it, for me, it even goes way further back. I really liked A.J. Brown, the Ole Miss Rebel. I mean, you look at that wide receiver room he was in. You had Elijah Moore and D.K. Metcalf. 
both NFL quality wide receivers who are actually legitimate NFL players. And he still by far was the best player in that offense. And that's coming in a tough SEC. He caught for 1,000 yards his junior year. I think he had 11 touchdowns his sophomore year. He was always just a beast. And then once he got into the league, for me, naturally, most people don't know. I'm the only non-Chiefs fan in my family. So I would just, I naturally support any team in the AFC that's good. So when I saw A.J. Brown join the Tennessee Titans, I got pretty excited to see him have immediate success. I mean, back-to-back 1,000-yard seasons as a young player is just insane. And even, I mean, A.J. Brown, the person for me, too, I actually kind of like him a lot just because his recruitment during Julio of Julio Jones last year was honestly one of my favorite parts of the offseason. And also just the fact uh, when he recruited uh, Julio Jones, it was right when he was about to get into the draft, it showed that he like DM'd Julio and asked questions about how what he can do as an NFL player. And somebody who's had that much success in college to be hungry to get better before they even get to the league, it wasn't surprising for me to see him be so successful. So I honestly loved A.J. Brown. Plus, you always love the physical, bigger wide receivers who can just go out there and make plays. So I was a big fan. A.J.'s awesome. I Like you, I've followed A.J. since he was an Ole Miss when he was awesome there. Him, DK, and Elijah Moore made John Rice Plumley look like a good quarterback at Ole Miss, and he didn't even end up playing quarterback there for that long. Um, obviously, as a tight end, he became my favorite player, and that's on a team that has Derrick Henry and Jeffrey Simmons, who are both all pros. I mean, AJ is too, and I just fell in love with AJ from like the the moment I heard the pick. I was like, yeah, that makes way too much sense. It's perfect. He became wide receiver one almost instantly. The pictures from him from his rookie media day, where he's wearing the glasses, I'm like, this guy's the coolest person alive. It was, it was a just, it was so perfect because my teams never have cool players, and we finally got a cool player, and they, they just screwed it up. So, speaking of them screwing it, screwing it up, they traded him to the Eagles last week uh, during draft night for the 18th pick, which turned into Traylon Burks. Not gonna talk about Traylon. Have plenty of time to talk about Traylon. How excited were you as an Eagles fan about the acquisition of AJ Brown on draft night? I can't underestimate or understate how excited I was just because what I always tell people is people always compare the NFL draft to like, oh, it's like Christmas in April and stuff like that. For us Eagles fans, it's kind of like being a fan of an FCS team playing Alabama. I know we're not going to do good. I just don't want to get embarrassed because there have been a lot of draft nights where you just see the recap. It's like, oh, Eagles F, oh, Eagles D. And even before, when I like found out we got A.J. Brown, I thought someone was pranking me because when they mentioned uh, how Debo uh, Samuels was available, I was like, oh, what I would want ideally would be a first and a third. And I saw that's exactly what we gave up for A.J., who's a young, good wide receiver. And you have to keep in mind, the last couple wide receivers I've seen get drafted was Jalen Rager over Justin Jefferson, because I won't count Devontae Smith because he's great, but Jalen Rager over Justin Jefferson. The same draft when you guys got A.J. Brown, six picks later, we got J.J. Arcega-Whiteside. His only career touchdown in the NFL is when Miles Sanders fumbled the ball in the end zone and he picked it up. And that's like year three now, I think, or year four. And then I got to see also just Nelson Aguilar get drafted 21st overall. I mean, if you look back at the Eagles' history, back in 2019 with Carson Wentz, he threw for 4,000 yards. But that wasn't the interesting thing. We were the first team in history to have somebody throw for 4,000 yards. We didn't have a single wide receiver catch for over 500. That's how horrible we've been at wide receiver for years. I was thinking of great Eagles wide receivers who got close to 1,000 yards. Like when I found out we got A.J. Brown. And the best one is Jordan Matthews. If you really have to sit back and think. 
the last it, it's just been a bad history of Eagles wide receivers. I mean, Alshon Jeffrey got close one year, Devontae Smith got close this previous year. But the fact that I have to look back at the great players in my franchise history, and no offense to him, but it's Jordan Matthews, who I don't even know if he's in the NFL anymore. Um, to get a guy like AJ Brown, especially a guy who's young and could be an Eagle for a long time, especially with the type of deal we gave him, it's just uh, it was such a great feeling. It's probably one of the best feelings I've had as an Eagles fan in recent memory. I can only imagine. Like, it had to have just felt so good. Like, I was on the phone with one of my best friends. He called me. He was like, the Titans were about to pick. Or no, it wasn't because the Titans were on the clock a, a while later. Something just happened. He called me, and we were talking. And I was on Twitter kind of half listening. And I saw the tweet from Schefter. And I was like, oh, it's a fake tweet. It's like the fake Schefter. Somebody's trolling. Like, that's funny. Ha ha. I have a lot of negative Titan fans on my timeline. I was like, whatever. And then I saw the check mark, And I was like, oh, my God. This is real. AJ's gone. And I I, start, I got flooded with text and tweets and everything. And I was like, I'm overwhelmed. I was so sad. I can only imagine being in the other position. I The excitement has to be just through the roof. You mentioned Devontae. And that segues really nicely into my next question. Because you guys now have this trio of Jalen Hurts, Devontae Smith, and AJ Brown. I want to know, through your eyes, that's a top what trio in the league. If we could add other players, like I, I'm super high on Miles Sanders. I know he hasn't officially had his breakout year, but I feel like he's just one of those guys who never gets his real opportunity. And I love Dallas Godair as well. I don't think we're an elite duo in this, a trio in this league. And I hate to say it, but I've never been the biggest Jalen Hurts guy. He's still young, so he can still develop and change. But just with his pocket presence and his decision-making, I don't know. Because, I mean, at the end of the day, you can have great wide receivers, which we do. But then if you look at it, I mean, and I, I this isn't super disrespectful to Jalen, at least I don't think. But, like, I'd put us in the, on the same level as that, like, Tyreek, Jalen Waddle, Tua Tongalova type tier where it's like, okay, they have, like, good weapons and we're good. But, like, I wouldn't call us elite, maybe not until we get another quarterback. But the good news is A.J. Brown is – super young so is Devonte smith so even if jalen hurts isn't endgame we could still have an elite trio with those two in a different quarterback maybe a couple years from now which would be awesome well and the exciting thing about how we get an aggressive is quarterbacks gonna look at this they're, they're gonna be like they have Devonte smith they have aj brown they have dallas goddard they have miles sanders there's so much talent they're gonna be like why don't i go play for philly if jalen hurts doesn't work out which he very well could um, I, I think it's a really solid team. You guys made the playoffs last year as the wild card, ran into Tampa Bay, but you've obviously immediately just gotten a lot better with the acquisition of AJ. Do you think the acquisition of AJ Brown makes the Eagles the team to beat in a pretty good NFC East, in my opinion? Yeah, hundred percent. I think honestly, a hundred percent, if you would have asked me, I mean, if you just look at the talent, we're also bringing back or bringing in just alone. I mean, like I said, the last 1,000-yard wide receiver I saw the Eagles have was Deshaun Jackson. I was in seventh grade. I'm graduating college later this month. It would be, if there's any a time to overreact as an Eagles fan, it is right now to where I'd say, yes, we own the NFC East 100%. Even if we don't, Dallas will choke in the first round. We'll get past them anyway. So I think we're a really good team coming into this. We had the number one rushing offense in the NFL. And at one point when we were hot, we were averaging 30 points per game. And that's considering the fact that now we have who, a guy who could be a top five wide receiver in this league. And the thing, too, is we brought in great young talent. Even if we wouldn't have gotten A.J. Brown, I still would have given 
gave us an A for the draft just on the fact that we got Nicobe Dean in the third round, which I absolutely loved. Before they start having issues about him in the draft, I wanted them to take a chance on him earlier. We got Jordan Davis, too, bringing in. We got Hassan Redick in the offseason. We brought, and the thing too is we're such a young team, but we still managed to bring back our veteran leadership. We brought back Fletcher Cox and we brought back Jason Kelsey. I think we actually are the team to beat in the NFC East without Jalen Brown, we would be, but now a hundred percent, I think we are. And I do think if you want to get to the playoffs, you got to take a nice trip through Philadelphia and it's not going to be an easy ride. I agree with you. And I, it might be me overreacting, but I think, I think the NFC East is a good division. It's a division that people like, it feels like every year, like week 11, people clown on the NFC East because like none of the teams are like crazy good. It's because they eat each other alive. Like none of these teams are bad. Washington, that defense is awesome. God bless the offense, whatever they're going to do with that offense. Um, New York, if they had a quarterback, if Daniel Jones can do anything, that team could be good. And obviously Dallas, they'll, they'll win games. They won't win them in the playoffs. And then Philly, I, I think Philly is the team to be in that division. I think They're just too good. There's too much going on. And you mentioned how they were the number one rushing offense. AJ's so used to that. He gets plugged into an offense that can run the ball. Jalen Hurts, I feel like Jalen Hurts might be a better version of Tannehill for AJ. And that might be me overreacting and being really down on Ryan Tannehill right now. But I feel like that Jalen-AJ connection, they're going to have a lot of chemistry. I just, I think that's going to work out really well. So you decided. Honestly, wait. Okay, yeah. Sorry. I was going to say, I'm really glad you mentioned that because another aspect of it too, with the guy like AJ Brown is I was nervous about, cause you have top wide receivers. And then a lot of the times too, they're like, okay, well they wouldn't want to play for Philadelphia because you guys don't pass the ball like that. It's rare. Like we could get an elite wide receiver and they could just Hollywood Brown us and say they hate the system and they don't want to be there. AJ Brown, again, is just a guy who can just fit into a perfect offense, like you said, with Derrick Henry and a run dominant team and still be able to get his numbers and not be frustrated or a diva about it, which I absolutely love, especially when you have a young quarterback who may not have the highest confidence. Yeah, and that's that's a thing, too, um, with Jalen. Devontae Smith isn't this big physical receiver. AJ is. And when Jalen gets in trouble, the pocket breaks down. He's like, I don't know what to do. He can take that Joe Burrow mentality of F it. Jamar Chase is down there somewhere, except it'll be F it. A.J. Brown's down there somewhere. And it works. A.J. comes down with it. He makes plays. He breaks tackles. And NFC East defensive backs, I know you're listening. Get ready. Because A.J. Brown hits. He doesn't like to go down. And he's so much fun to watch. So much fun to cheer for. But we both decided. The Eagles are the team to beat in the NFC East. Can they compete with the big three in the NFC of L.A., the Rams, obviously, Green Bay, and Tampa Bay? Because last year, I mean, the playoff uh, game in Tampa Bay wasn't the closest game in the world, but I want to hear what you have to say. In terms of the big three, okay, teams like Tampa Bay, I honestly don't think we can just because we're still so young. And even a lot of these guys who I feel like are going to end up playing major minutes like Jordan Davis and Nicobe Dean are still going to be new to getting playoff experience. I'm not sure how much Hassan Reddick has either for the most part. And I mean, if we're talking like Green Bay, I think we can compete with them just because I don't fear playoff Rodgers. I don't think anybody does anymore at this point. I did last year and I gassed him up a lot and I got embarrassed. In terms of Los Angeles, I think they're just on a different level than us. Same with Tampa Bay. But I do think when you talk about teams who you can have a good idea, I do think we can be in the second round. And you know what? 
that's okay for us because with the team this young, we don't have to be that immediate squad. I'm just happy with us getting experience. And my first thought when we got AJ Brown, as I said, I'm, it's not, oh, we're a Super Bowl team right now because in all honesty, we're not. Nick Sirianni is still a second-year head coach as well. But if we're talking about these guys building chemistry and developing and working with each other for years and going through those heartbreak of those early playoff round losses – I do think we could win a Super Bowl within the next five years, 100%. And then at that point, we will be the big dog, not only in the NFC, but in the entire NFL. We just have to be patient and develop as a team, which I'm 100% okay with. Like I said, I'm used to watching us in the lottery. So this is an awesome change. Yeah, I agree. I think I think LA and Tampa Bay and probably Green Bay, I, I don't know what to think about Green Bay. I never do. Aaron Rodgers is such a weird guy. You never know what to think. But I, th- I think there's just, like, there's tears to it. And Philly's going to be really close. Like you said, they're just too young. This is going to be a year where they get to know each other. They're going to win some football games. They're going to look really good. There's going to be games where Philly's like, okay. People are going to watch, and they're like, okay, this is this is a team. They, they might have it, but they're just going to be too young. I, I agree with you there. Um, I think, like you said, as they go on, they're going to get experience. Second-year head coach. Jalen Hurts is so young. Devontae Smith going into second year. AJ. AJ's 24 years old, and he's – three years in the league going into year four, like so much youth, the guys they drafted Jordan Davis and the Kobe Dean, like, man, they've got a lot of time to get experience under the belt and do some damage, which is so exciting. But we've talked enough about your Eagles. I want to know about my Titans and I want it through your eyes. What impact do you think the AJ trade has on, has on the Titans uh, next season? I think it has a pretty big impact on the team. I mean, when you lose a guy like A.J. Brown, you're not only losing a guy who, like I said, he's such a likable guy. Of course he had a presence in that locker room. If you're not just talking about the the on-the-field stuff, off the field, A.J. Brown was a presence in that locker room. And then, I mean, on the field, he's just a flat-out beast. Like you said, 24 years old. He's just still so young. And, I mean, I also think he could have been a guy – I don't know how big of a fan you are who could have maybe worked with Malik Willis in the future, but also even like, cause again, 24, like by the time he's 28, he's still going to be a good quarterback and you can still build and like look towards your future for that. But I also am really high on Traylon Burks. I think if you could have replaced AJ Brown with someone that was a good pickup, Traylon Burks is super physical. He caught for a thousand yards, 66 receptions and 11 touchdowns in the SEC, which isn't the easiest thing to do in the world, especially when you're coming from a team like Arkansas, where they're most likely going to key in on you going into the games and you still put up the big numbers. I think the Titans are still going to be fine as long as they have who I think is the best offensive player in the NFL, which is Derrick Henry, because at the end of the day, I mean, even if that ball isn't going in the air, you could just run it every single play and you're still going to get first downs. So Tennessee is still in a good position. I do think losing a guy like A.J. Brown doesn't make you any better, but I also wouldn't hit the panic button anytime soon. So I, I'm in the same boat as you. I panicked at first. I was like, oh, we're done. Indianapolis. The- we lost you, Dylan. I hate this stupid Western Kentucky internet. Lauren, you can leave this in if you want. At some point, this has to be left in. It's so frustrating. Where was I cut off? The last thing you said was Indianapolis, by the way. All right. I have no idea what I was saying. <laughs> um. I agree. Here, I can pick. Here, I can pick up. I, I got a question. Yeah, say I got a so. Question yeah. Yeah. So yeah. So <laughs> I've been listening to you guys. I, I I wanted this conversation to mostly filter through the Titans fan and the Eagles fan in the in the room. I don't have uh, too much to say. My Lions had a pretty pretty decent draft, but it was about what we expected the Lions to do. Your guys' drafts were obviously a lot more unexpected, and from my perspective, or 
I really want to hear from Dylan's perspective, really, because I haven't heard from him. Outside of the A.J. Brown trade, what was your thought process on the Titans draft? So if the A.J. Brown trade didn't happen, this is like the best draft ever. I'm like, this is a future dynasty. I love it. Even without like without taking that in effect, like, yeah, it happened, whatever. I still love it. I think it was a really good draft. I think getting Traylon Burks, like Blake said, was an awesome pick. I, I really wanted it to be A.J. Brown and Traylon Burks, just true monster receivers on both ends. I was like, that would be perfect. But we'll have Traylon, whatever. And then uh, second round, getting Roger McCreary, who I was like, who is this guy? I watched quite a bit of SEC football. I had no idea. Corner from Auburn. The more I see of him, the more I like him. And then third round, getting Malik Willis. I was like, are you kidding me? I wanted him at 26. And then he's there, or yeah, 26. And then uh, he's there at 86. I'm like, whoa, uh, how did this happen? I, I'm all about it. I, I don't know if Malik Willis will ever play for the Titans. I hope he does. I hope he plays next year. I'm done with Tannehill. I, I'm so fed up with him. Like the way, I don't know. I'm not getting into Tannehill uh, down his throat, but I, he drives me crazy. I, I think this year is going to be a lot of, Let's see what Tannehill does. Like, let's see what he can do. Can he still do the regular season things he does? And then he'll go mess it up in the playoffs, and then we'll cut him, and Malik will be the quarterback next year, hopefully. Um, but that might not also be the case. I mean, J-Rob said he do, he wasn't drafted to sit. He, we're going to see what he can do. So if Malik Willis is the guy that we were gaslit to believe he was that could go number two overall, he might be starting for the Titans next season. Who knows? Um, and then a guy like um, – Kyle Phillips out of UCLA late. I didn't know who he was. I'll be hand up. Didn't watch a lot of Pac-12 football. And if I did, it was USC. Kyle Phillips is solid. Little slot receiver. They played against LSU, and he made Stingley look silly. And he went third overall. If he can do that against them in the division, that's exciting. That adds a slot element to where you got Kyle Phillips, Robert Woods, and Traylon Burks, that's exciting for the offense. Obviously, you have Derrick Henry. And I don't know. I think it was a really good draft. I think they got a lot of guys that fell under the radar. And the AJ, AJ trade is just like a big cloud over it, where it's like it was such a good draft, and they just got like this big dark cloud of like you traded the best receiver in franchise history when he was 24 years old. And that just sucks. It really, really sucks. And obviously, it hurts a little bit more for me because he became my favorite player. Like, I, I was all in on AJ. Absolutely loved him from day one. It sucks. But, yeah, I think it was – if I gave it a grade, it would be an A. Not an A-plus, but an A. I, th- I thought it was really, really good. Hey, all I know is you guys better treat Hassan Haskins well because that, that man has a, a spot in my heart for the rest of my life. So, you better treat him right. Uh, Blake, kind of a similar question, but kind of the reverse. You, you had a big pickup in A.J. Brown. Obviously, you talked about N'Kobe Dean. You had a great draft. Is there any like deals you're looking for the Eagles to make from now until the beginning of the off or the beginning of the season next year that you think would put them over the top would like really cement you as like, okay, I'm all in on the Eagles. The last one, the last little totem pole I was kind of waiting on was to see what Tyron Matthew was going to do because I thought we had the money to bring him in and have him be the guy for us, especially at that safety position that we could improve on. But I mean, he just signed with new Orleans. So I don't know if there's any more moves we could really make. At the end of the day, I would just want our guys to just kind of start building and improving. And I'm more just interested to see what Sirianni can do because, I mean, 
he was literally a completely different human being from one half of the season to the other. And I think while we can make changes like to our team at the end of the day, I want to see if he can be that second half guy where we're averaging 30 points per game. We're firing on all levels for an entire season. But I mean, regardless at this point for Philadelphia, I do feel like even if we may not finish with one of the better records in the league, we will be one of the most fun teams to watch in the NFL for sure. So I'm excited about the moves that we're going to make forward, but in terms of like adding anybody on at this point, I'm really good with the unit where we have right now. Oh, I would want to say we got to start giving Miles Sanders the ball, man. Like I, I still don't understand how it's been this many years. And he just every year we're like, oh, yeah, that's going to be the thing that we're going to do. And for some reason, we just become allergic to giving him the football, even though he has success every time he touches it. Well, now he's going to have to split those touches with another with another wide receiver number one apparently. So we'll see how that works out. I not not that it can't work out, but uh, a lot of, a lot of a lot of hands on the football there in Philadelphia. We're going to see how all that plays out, but a lot of fun. Oh, definitely one of the most fun rosters to look at in terms of just looking at how it stacks up right now. Uh, Dylan, did you have any other questions before we let Blake go? I just thought of something. Um... Does this compare to the, I think it was 2011 off season where it was the Eagles super team. Was that more hype or like, we've seen a lot of times people hype this team up. Has it, has it reached that already? Or was that team, is it a different level? It was the dream team, Philadelphia Eagles. You guys were a part of that curse because Vince Young was the one who coined the name as our third string quarterback, putting all the pressure on us on earth. Since then, I mean, I he's a Detroit guy for you, Dylan. I got nervous when we got Darius Slade just off of pure PTSD from Namdi Asamoah. I mean, people always look back on that time and they're like, oh, I bet you were so excited as an Eagles fan to have LaShawn McCoy and Michael Vick and Deshaun Jackson. We didn't win a playoff game for 10 years. Like, it was a long time. And I mean, I don't think we have that much attention because we were on the cover of Sports Illustrated. People were calling us the Super Bowl favorites. And I mean, we did have bigger household names, so... I wouldn't compare it to that, but I would say this is the most exciting positive offseason we've ever had. The most exciting other one was getting rid of LaShawn McCoy and all my childhood heroes. But in terms of this, I would say this team's for sure going to be better. It'd be hard to be worse than that previous team. And I mean, at the end of the day, the difference between those guys and these guys is, I mean, A.J. Brown, you can see his work ethic. He's a hard worker. Jalen Hurts literally... You can say a lot about Jalen Hurts. One thing nobody can ever say is we all see those videos of him immediately after the game in the weight room. The expectations are going to be very high, but if you put the work in every day to make sure that you're a great football player and that we're a great team, I think we can exceed them. I don't think anybody looks at us and thinks Super Bowl like they did that year, but I do think people do expect us to win the NFC East, and hopefully they're right. I think they are. So the expectations are up for sure. I wouldn't say as high as that group, but I am excited to see that where we're going to go from here. For sure. For sure. All right, Blake, it's been awesome talking with you. It's been awesome catching up with you. Uh, Thanks so much for jumping on the podcast. We'll have you back again soon, for sure. All right. Thank you guys so much for having me. It was a lot of fun. Best of luck. All right. Bye. Thanks, Blake. All right. Awesome stuff. Thanks again, Blake, for joining us. On to my question. I saw a very interesting article this week that got me thinking a lot throughout the week for reference the ncaa national championships for gymnastics were last week and were originally scheduled for 3 30 p.m on monday on abc 
However, the new deal with ESPN and the, NH- and the NHL meant the gymnastics ended up getting bumped up to 1, 1 p.m. so that the Minnesota Wild and St. Louis Blues could play on ABC at 3.30. No one would have expected that the gymnastics competitions earned not only 136,000 more viewers, but a 29% better rating than the NHL game. And it got me thinking, and I, Dylan, I'm going to throw a very loaded question at you to start it, but is the NHL still a professional sport in the United States of America? Well, it's still a professional sport, but I know what your question is. Is it, is it a big four? Major sport. sport. Major yeah, sport. like the big four, yeah. Uh, I, so my thinking is, I think there's a big three. I think that's how it's always been. I know people want to make the conversation it's big four. I think it's big three. I think it's football, basketball, however you want to put them, and people will get upset any way you put it. Football and basketball, baseball, and then, like, think of the money ball scene. It's like football, basketball, baseball, 50 feet of crap, and then everything else. So there's just such a big separation. I, I mean, it just – there is. And, um, like, hockey, I feel like playoff hockey, it gets there. Like, we, we're in the Stanley Cup playoffs right now. I'll be honest. Go Kraken. I love my hockey. I maybe watched two hockey games all year, and I didn't watch all of it. I would just, like, tune in. It'd be like, oh, I'm going to turn on Bali Sports to watch the Grizzlies. And it's like, oh, the Predators are on. I was like, I guess I'll watch this. The tea hits here. And I'd end up being like, okay, I'm going to turn on something else. Um, playoff hockey, I watched the Rangers-Penguins game the other night, and it was electric. And I was like, playoff hockey's sick you don't get playoff hockey all year and that's where it hurts it. And like, I think soccer has grown a lot. Nashville got, they opened their soccer stadium on Sunday and it was absolutely electric, like packed to the rims. Like they had everyone in there, but it was like 15,000 people. And when you, I mean, that's a small amount of people, but when you have that, when you have it packed and everybody's going crazy, it makes it feel like a bigger deal. And I feel like, Hockey and soccer are in like a second tier, which sucks, but it's just how it is. And I think hockey, the wild and blues got put in a really bad situation by the NHL and by ABC because college gymnastics have been on fire this year with the NIL stuff. Cause like SUNY Lee and like Libby Dune from LSU, SUNY Lee goes to Auburn. I mean, SUNY's like an Olympic star, like is awesome. Livy is a TikTok star and like has all the NIL money making tons of money from TikTok and has drawn people to watch college gymnastics. Like I remember I like have gone to B-dubs on a Friday night to just hang out with friends and college gymnastics is on. And I'm like, what is going on? What like why is there not like baseball on or basketball? Like what is happening? And it's because like people want to see these people they're seeing on their television or their or their phones, not their televisions. They want to see these people and it's drawing uh, their eyes through and they're like, hey, I'm at B-dubs. I want to watch, I want to see the SEC gymnastics. I want to see Auburn. I want to see LSU. And it it put the Minnesota Wild and the St. Louis Blues in a really crappy situation. And the NHL, they're going to have to auto-correct really quickly. Or they might get in a situation like the MLB. But the MLB is kind of fireproof at this point where they're kind of locked in that three spot. If the MLB wasn't, man, they'd be in a lot of trouble. Uh, the NHL, it feels like they've taken a modern approach to sports. It feels like anyways, they try to be fun. They try to be edgy. And I think they're going to be okay. It's just, they get, they tried to flex their muscles where they shouldn't have, especially this year with the, how hot college gymnastics have been. They, they're just on fire. And that was, I don't know if it was the NHL's decision or ABC, but man, that, that was a tough one. They, they probably shouldn't have done that. That was, that was a really good PR hit for uh, college gymnastics. 
hockey on the other hand, that's why we're talking about it. it that's tough for them. I, yeah, I don't think they are. I, I really don't. I, I don't think they ever have been. I think it's always been top three um, and then everybody else. I think it's football, basketball, baseball, and then you got everything else. But that's just me. Yeah, so I grew up in a very hockey-dominant state. The state of Michigan is very embraceive of hockey. That being said, there is a, there is a sharp divide between – hockey guys and general sports fans. And if you identify as a general sports fan, I'm going to say you're probably not tuning into a hockey game every night and probably not very often at all. Like you said, maybe the playoffs. And even at that, it's maybe deeper in the playoffs. Usually, I mean, we're, you know, we're getting paid to cover these things. It's not the same where we can, we're tuning in, we're doing it for our jobs where the general sports fan, I don't think is doing that for hockey games. And I think you're right. It's a, it's a different tier of like, if you're a general sports fan, you're going to tune into a random NBA game, a random NFL game, a random MLB game, but a random NHL game is not going to get you the way that a random, those other random sports will. Uh, and I, I think it shows that gymnastics can't, I, I know gymnastics has taken a huge bump this year. It's, it's got a huge following now, but if you told me that a college gymnastics meet outperformed any NFL game on any given week, it, it would be mind blowing. It would be earth shattering news and it would shake up the way this entire profession was drawn up. Whereas the story like that, well, it was really interesting. It's not shaken up any, no one was really that shocked that the NHL did that poorly in ratings and got beaten out because it's just, there's such a divide. There's such a, a hockey, primarily hockey group of people that their, their favorite sport is hockey and they don't watch any other sports and it's the other way around, but hockey is excluded from that. And I think that is what the NHL has to, that, that divide has to break down. I don't know how you do that. I don't know what it is to bring the general sports fans into it and get your fans out into the general world so that you can kind of uh, intermix because I feel like, like you said, with a B-dubs, I'll be at, you know, just someone's house watching sports and someone will be like, hey, can you turn the hockey game on? It's like, why? Why, man? You're the only one that wants to watch it. it. That that has to be where they break it down. It's like I if you can't get a general sports fan to watch a sports game because it's not the right sport, there, there's a problem there. Uh, and I don't know how hockey fixes that divide. I, I Part of it is is this is so inaccessible to so many people in the country. It's got to be cold. Uh, That's one of the reasons Michigan is so good at it is because we've got a lot of lakes and it freezes over and we can go play. And it's it's easier to play like pickup hockey. Even at that, there's a big group of people in Michigan that have no interest in hockey and just shut it out all year. And that is just it. It just can't be that way if you want to be. Uh, one of the four major professional sports. If they want to go away of like more of a niche sport where they get really passionate fans, uh, that might be easier, but I don't know if that's the way the NHL really wants to go. I know hockey fans and NHL fans, they've always been, you know, the NHL is right up there with all those other sports. And I think this is just proving like, no, it's not, it's really not. And you either need to find your lane or really do something different to get back to that place because yeah, like you said, there is not general sports fans that are going to tune in until maybe the Stanley Cup, play, like the, the finals. And even at that, there's going to be a lot of people that watch zero minutes of a hockey game this year. Uh, and if if they want to be a professional sport, that just can't happen. I, I think the biggest culture shock in my life 
was as a freshman at Murray State University, which is a school, if you don't know, that gets a lot of people from St. Louis because they'll give you in-state tuition or regional tuition. It makes it easier to come to Murray and it helps grow the school in the bigger area. And right around this time of the year, like finals are coming around, the school year's ending, it's getting warmer. And you're like, okay, everyone's going to be wearing like tank tops. Half the campus would have on Vladimir Tarasenko, I believe that's his name, jerseys, and running around campus fired up because the Blues are in the playoffs. I'm like, what is going on? The, what are we talking about? The Cardinals just started. Like, we're, we're playing the Reds tonight. Why are you focused on the Blues? And they're just – it is – it's a niche. And it's a niche that these people absolutely love, and I respect it because there is no one on this planet – like as passionate about what they love than NHL fans. I fully believe that because they love that stuff. Like it's like European soccer fans. Like I think I've said that before on the show. It's very, very similar. It's like you've got European soccer fans, NHL fans, college football fans. I feel like they're all, they all fall on like that same, like they live and die with their teams. Like I, I feel like they live and die with every shot, every goal. Like it, it's really, really, it's a unique thing. And I can, I can kind of sympathize with them there because I am, I, I fall in that college football mode. I like live and die with every Tennessee pass and run. Like I get it, but yeah, I, I think it's more of a niche and I have a counter question. Do you think there are four big sports in America right now? And if there are, what is number four? That's tough. I, I would say no, just because, uh, if you're breaking it down by just like sports, it's like football, baseball, basketball. In terms of leagues, I think the rankings would go NFL, then the NCAA football, then the NBA, then college basketball, then MLB. I think MLB's fifth of those five. You know, I, I think uh, I think basketball and football are in such their own realm right now, and baseball is just kind of it's the third brother of the of the of the three. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Do you have a, do you have a fourth sport that you think would fall into that range? So I have my gut reaction that I literally like sitting here thought of UFC. I really think UFC might've took that spot. I know it could probably fall in a niche, but I don't think it's niche anymore. I think it's got to the point where I am very much like, I don't keep up with combat sports. Like I'm not checking Twitter and seeing like, Oh, this guy, he's, he's an up and comer. Here we go. Like the signing with the UFC. Like, I don't know until they walk out on a fight night, but when, when there's a pay-per-view like UFC 216 this weekend, Israel Adesanya versus Conor McGregor. I'm like, oh, yeah, I got to find a way to watch that. Whether it's buying it or hitting up friends and be like, Hey, let's all get together and watch it. Like I, I, I have general interest. And I feel like a lot of people think that way where UFC, like growing up, it was like, Oh yeah, Chuck Liddell. And that's like all anyone knew, like Dice Man or Forrest Griffin. And now it's like people like are very much like growing to the idea of like, okay, this is a legitimate league of mixed martial arts, and people are all about it. It's it's a unique thing. Uh, I, I it was an interesting like segment that Joe Rogan did talking to one fighter. He's like, people are just drawn to this the barbaric sports. Like people love football because there's so much violence, and UFC is the same way. I think as it gets bigger. The deal with ESPN, where they're on ESPN all the time, was huge for them. Because I think it's drawn more eyes to them, and people just want to check out their pay-per-views more. And I'm definitely one of them. I think ESPN uh, force-feeding me UFC content has made me that way, and I think it's it's been that way for a lot of people. And I think if there's a fourth, I think UFC's past NHL, but that's me. Uh, and I might be biased because I'm checking out UFC more than NHL, but I don't know. 
I think they're like, I, I, I obviously understand the pay-per-view route of everything. I think the pay-per-view format limits as much as you can do in that sport because the biggest events you've got to pay for and there's just that's going to limit how many people can see the biggest of the biggest events uh i i like to go and try like hands up i'll go and find those free streams out there those illegal streams if i can they're usually they're usually pretty tough to find now because espn does a good job of taking them down uh so uh it's tough to get invested in something, no, like, oh, I got to pay at the end of it to see like the payoff of what, what I want to see. So, uh, but I see what you're saying there. It's definitely grown a lot uh, in just the past three, few years since it's been on ESPN. Well, like, I know, like, if it's a UFC fight night and I go on Twitter, that's all my Twitter time on talking about is whatever is happening at the UFC event, probably because people found streams. And like, I'm going to talk about it. I am curious, like, if they did like a, like Connor versus Khabib on ABC, what kind of numbers it would have done. Cause I'm sure it would have been astronomical. Cause I remember watching that in college and I think everyone in Murray, Kentucky was together to watch that fight and it was insane. So I'm just, I can only imagine what kind of numbers it would have done. We're talking about like 900,000 that the NCAA gymnastics did. They would have done, I mean, I imagine tens of millions. Because, I mean, that was the biggest thing in the world for so long. I, UFC's got something. I, they just continue to grow. I'm, I, I'm all about it. I, I'm a big fan, big casual fan. I don't, don't want to get that twisted. Big casual fan of the UFC. All right, all right. Good stuff, as always. We're going to move on to this week in sports. The second round of the NBA playoffs are in full swing. Rather than give full breakdowns of every series, we decided we would just give you our biggest takeaways from the first few games of the second round. Uh, I'll throw it to Dylan first. Uh, Obviously, your Grizzlies and Warriors are in a huge battle, so I'm sure you're going to be talking about that. But what's been your biggest takeaway from the first couple of games? Um, All the series except for Memphis and Golden State suck. That's my biggest takeaway. And Memphis Golden State is on its way to be an all-time series. I really believe that. Um, it started out really, really chippy, which I expected. The Grizzlies are a chippy team. The Warriors have Draymond Green. Like, it had all the makings. And um, game one, obviously, Draymond got ejected for what was – I mean, it was a very physical play. I I don't know if he deserved to be ejected for it, but, I mean, that's that, that was the ruling. It was a hard foul on Brandon Clark. He, kind of pulled him down by the jersey. Uh, Draymond said it was it was because of my name rather than the action. I don't know. I'm not going to get into all that. And then game two, Dylan Brooks got ejected for a very hard foul on Gary Payton Jr., which resulted in him fracturing his elbow, breaking his elbow. It was a very like unfortunate uh, happenstance to Gary Payton Jr., who really found himself this year in the NBA. Like, kind of came out of nowhere, it felt like, where he like was floating around and he found his role with the really good Warriors team, which was cool to see. Um, but beyond like the, is it dirty? Is it not plays the ejections? Um, it's just been good basketball in my opinion, the Grizzlies Timberwolves series. Like it was a lot of, like the games were a lot of fun. The basketball wasn't always the best. It was like really choppy. There were a lot of fouls and like, it felt like flows were, there were never flows. The Warriors Grizzlies, it's just fun from the start. The, both these teams, are just good and they're playing good basketball and it's just a pleasure to watch um game one obviously on last sunday was so much fun jaw took over at, at the end and nearly allowed the grizzlies to go 1-0 he that last second uh attempt at the buzzer where 
if he would have just took a little bit off, put it up a little bit wider, the Grizzlies are up 2-0 right now. Uh, Clay Thompson was able to push him away from the basket and job just put a little bit too much on it and missed the, uh, uh, a potential game-winning shot, and that would have been huge. But he missed it after Clay missed two free throws right before. Uh, so it was just huge all around, um, and Golden State took a 1-0 lead. And then game two, I told one of my best friends before that game, because I couldn't stay up to watch the whole game, and it ate me alive. I had to go to sleep to wake up for work because they have the crazy West Coast times for NBA games during the week. And I told him, I was like, I'm not going to be watching this game. John's going to do crazy stuff at the end and score like 50 points. John finished with 47 points, eight rebounds, and eight assists. And obviously made all the clutch buckets down the stretch, did insane things. I mean, um, it was Max Kellerman saying on Get Up, if he wasn't already, John Morant has emerged as a superstar in this league. And I've been saying John's a superstar since like I three years ago at this point. I, ja has he's on that Steph level, in my opinion. And he's showing it. He joined Kobe and LeBron as the only players to score 45 plus points in a playoff game twice before the age of 23. Kobe Bryant and LeBron James, and then Ja Morant. That is crazy company. And it just seems like every game, Ja's doing something new to get in company like that. And it's just really, really special. These teams, they have so much history at this point, which is crazy because the Grizzlies team is so young. But it goes back to last year uh, when they were kind of battling during the regular season and then going to the play-in. And the Grizzlies, in their second year as kind of a nucleus, went to Golden State and beat them in the play-in tournament to advance to the playoffs. And now this year, you've got the, the Warriors are kind of underdogs. I mean, technically, because they're the lower seed. But the Grizzlies are so much younger. The Warriors have the championship prestige. And they're just throwing haymakers at each other. Literally and metaphorically. And it's just a lot of fun to watch. I, I think, I don't know if I think, I hope this series goes to seven games because I think it's what basketball needs. Because I, like I said earlier, the other series kind of suck. And hopefully it's just um, that it's early series jitters, it's home court advantages, whatever. But um, the other series aren't looking great. Whereas this one, both games have come down to the wire. And hopefully we get more of that as the series shifts to California and we just get good games and we get Ja and Steph going at it. Uh, obviously, game three on um, Saturday, the Grizzlies will be without Dylan Brooks. He'll serve the uh, suspension one game after get being ejected. And Gary Payton Jr. is going to be out uh, probably for the rest of the playoffs unless they make the finals and he can have a miraculous return. And that's going to be huge because Gary Payton Jr. Did, played really good defense on John game one. And then game two, you saw what he did, 47 points. Steph's awesome. I don't know if Steph can guard Ja for a whole game. I, I really like Jordan Poole. I know you love Jordan Poole. Jordan Poole can't guard Ja. I mean, if we can pull up that highlight of him putting Jordan Poole on his butt, I mean, he can't guard him. He just can't. And um, it, it can make for some long games for the war, uh, for the Warriors' defense. And uh, But they've got Steph Curry. They've got Jordan Poole. They've got Klay Thompson. They've got guys like Jonathan Kaminga who can make big plays. Draymond Green is going to have some moments in the series because it's Draymond Green. And I just think it, it's there's a lot of potential here for just great basketball, and it's so, so exciting. I'm excited to see how it all plays out. Hopefully they're still playing when we see here next week to talk because that would be ideal. I, I hope this series, like I said, goes seven games because it's just – already been so much fun i'm so excited for game three yeah that's what stuck out to me so far in the second round of the playoffs what about you 
so you said you're not going to get into the the is it a hard foul is it not a hard foul i'm gonna get into it can the refs just go easy on draymond green i i i think that this is going to be one of the things that when we look back on sports in like 20 or so years when we're talking to our kids about how it used to be and we're going to be like yeah i mean refs used to make calls based on what they their biases like they what they thought of the player as a person what they thought of the player as they treated them in the game it's like that's so slimy that's so wrong that's so they are professional referees i don't care if draymond's mean to you i don't care if you don't like his attitude that's why fans like him that's why draymond has one of the most subscribed to podcasts in the nation right now jj reddick had a great point on first take this week people love draymond for draymond the reason that he is so popular is not because he's an amazing basketball player he's very very good He's very popular because he's unfiltered, outspoken, doesn't hold back his emotions. We don't get that from athletes. We've wanted that from athletes from so long. And now that Draymond comes around and is that, we have so many people that were from the older generations of sports that are trying to take it out on him. Like, no, you got to be classy. You got to act like you've been there. You got to, no, I don't work that we're past that. We are past that point in sports. If you want to show people your emotions, we want to see it. That's what's so fun about sports. It's an emotional game. The fact that you put in hours, days, years of work into perfecting your craft to show, to go out there and show zero emotion makes no sense to us. So the fact that Draymond does it and gets punished for it is terrible. I think that's one of the worst parts about sports nowadays is that we take out like our opinions on guys on their actual game. Like that's like Draymond shouldn't have been kicked out for that play. We all know that Draymond, even if it was a hard foul, most people are getting a flagrant one for that call for that play because, but because Draymond is who Draymond is, he got a flagrant two. It's not the same. And I don't think we can continue to do that in terms of like, Oh, he's just kind of, he's mean to ref. So we're going to treat him differently. If he was legitimately a dirty player, like if he was legitimately like ending people's careers with elbows and stuff like that, that'd be a different story. The only like physical confrontation he's had in it, for the most part is the time he kicked LeBron in the nuts. And that's, that's funny. I mean, it, he, he got suspended and that was the one time where it's like, okay, yeah, he definitely tried to kick LeBron in the nuts, but I understand it. Like I understand the emotions of being in an NBA finals and having a large six foot eight man standing over you after they just followed you. Like There's emotions in that. And if people don't understand that, I don't know, you got to get out of sports. There's just like, that there's no place for the stuffy. I don't, you have to act like you've been there all the time. It's, it's over for me. I think that that part of sports is way in the past. I want to see these guys do whatever they want to do. They've earned it. They've earned it. We don't, we have not earned the right to tell them how to act. They have earned the right to act however they want and, and do whatever they want. They're professional athletes. So I just want to see for the rest of this playoffs, I want to see the refs just take, Take their biases out of calls. Whatever is on the on the floor is happening. Then you th- that is what you call. I don't care who does what. I don't care what it is. I don't care if Steph kicks out his leg. I don't. It's what you call the game the way you call the game, or else we're gonna really start to talk about like robot umpires, robot referees in these games because it's like if we can't take the personal the human emotion out of these calls, then we'll take it out because we don't want to see the emotion from the refs. We want to see the emotions from the athletes. So we're not going to 
I, I just think like we should not put up with this anymore. I, I don't think refere- referees do a great job and I think they get overlooked a lot of the time, but in these situations, we should not be able to point our fingers at that and be like, Oh yeah, he made that call because this reason it should just be like, he made that call because it was the right call. That should be the endo facto of everything a referee does. So I think the closer we get to that, the better sports gets. And I think the more Draymond's we get in all of these leagues, the better. So we should stop telling kids that being Draymond is not a good thing, giving him technical fouls because he is the way he is. I I think we're going to be, there's going to be a lot more Draymond's that come around and a lot less of the, you know, the David Robinson's of the world who were, you know, went to a Naval Academy and, are very classy it's going to be a lot more of the new type of athlete that drama that fans like and i say stop punishing for that because they're professionals and and referees you're professionals too so do be professional about your work like be as professional as you can be that's just where i'm at with that I, it really bugged me that he got kicked out of that game because when i when i saw it, it was like yeah of course, like, of course, it's just Draymond. Like, no one else is getting kicked out for that for that call. Uh, and I thought it was perfect that he, like, reacted the way he did. It's like, yeah, everyone look at what they're doing to me. Like, everyone look and see what, the, what has happened to the to the referees in this league. So, yeah, I'm, I'm on Draymond's side 100% on that. Um, and I think the leagues are only going to get better when you embrace the personalities of your athletes. So, that's what you should do, especially with a guy like Draymond, who is wildly and overwhelmingly popular. So uh, that has been my takeaway. Uh, not very much focused on basketball, because like you said, the other three series are not very good right now. But uh, that that has been my biggest takeaway of the Warriors and Grizzlies, other than just it has been great basketball in between those two really bad call, really tough fouls to watch. Uh we're going to move on now. It's time to make our picks for these series. Uh, the four NBA ser- NBA playoff series in the second round. We'll start in the Eastern Conference, the Heat and the 76ers. The Heat already have a 2-0 lead. What do you think about this one? I think the Heat are going to keep rolling. It's, I mean, we don't know at this moment if Joel's going to play. It's looking like he's not going to play. So I I don't see the Embiid-less uh, 76ers being the Miami Heat right now. I think they're going to play that Pepes song or whatever it's called that they play at uh, the Heat Arena. They're just going to have it on like an iPhone behind the bench at um, in Philadelphia ready to go when they're up by 20 in the fourth quarter because the Heat are just rolling. It makes no sense, but the Heat are on fire. Imagine that, Heat on fire. Um, but, yeah, I'm going to roll with the Heat in that one to take a 3-0 lead. Who you have in Sixers versus Heat? Yeah, I also have the Heat. The Heat are just – I don't know how to explain the heat. I don't think like looking at the roster, they're that great, but they're way better than what they're going up against. Uh, the the beadless 76ers are just not a good team. And until he comes back, they're not worth picking. Uh, it's kind of like how I saw the Maverick series last series, even though Luca ended up coming back and winning that series. Um, but yeah, without, Without Embiid, it's tough to pick the 76ers in any series, especially against a team like the Heat, who just seemed kind of unstoppable on that side of the Eastern Conference. So I'll go with the Heat. Uh, we'll move on to the Bucks and the Celtics. A bit more interesting of a series. What do you think? I'm going with the Boston Celtics. I really like the Celtics. I think they play really good defense. I, I saw an interesting stat. It was when Al Horford is guarding Giannis, he's shooting like 20% from the field. 
that's really eye-catching. An old Al Horford having that big of an impact. Grant Williams has played good defense on him. I, I think the Celtics, they just, they've done it since the All-Star break. They've been the best defense. They've had a really good offense. That's a winning formula. And I, I think it's going to, they're going to keep it up. The game one, I think game one of the series was an outlier. I think game two was also an outlier. They're not going to blow out the Bucks this whole time, but I think they're going to win games. I think they're going to win four of them. I, I think this is going to be one of those. Uh, I think uh, Boston's going to go up 2-1. And I, it's Tatum and Brown, and if Smart can come back, and all those guys, they're just, they're just dogs. They play good defense. They get easy buckets. Grant Williams, if he's having that big of an impact off the bench, that's huge. I I just I, I think the uh, the Bucks got a really tough draw in the second round with this Celtics team. Because, I mean, if people didn't know before the first round, now they know this Celtics team's legit with how they handled the Nets and what, what they did in game two at the Bucks is just really, really impressive. And I think that's what they are rather than what happened in game one. But yeah, I'm I'm going Celtics in this one. Who do you have between the Bucks and the Celtics? I also have the Celtics. I've been very sold on the Celtics uh, ever since they, they upset the Nets. Really didn't upset the Nets because obviously they're the higher seed, but I think everyone expected the Nets to kind of turn it around with the playoffs team around. Other than you, I will give you credit. You picked that one right. Uh, but I was w- well on the Nets. I thought they would beat the Celtics, and the Celtics just played solid basketball for, through four games, and that's what I've seen from them in the first two games of the Bucks celtics series. I think they've played the most solid basketball I've seen, and it's kind of just a – Almost a, you know, uh, I don't even know, like a positive look on Danny Ainge now. Like he's, this is basically the team he assembled. They kind of got rid of him because they're like, oh, okay, you, you didn't really assemble anything. But now we're looking and it's like, maybe this is the best team in the East. I think they could compete with the Heat. I don't think that they, they probably have the better, you know, top player between Tatum and Butler. So, uh, yeah, I like the Celtics right now. I think they're, they're doing way better. And I, I just think Giannis just isn't getting the help that he needs right now. I don't think without Chris Middleton playing a lot, it, it's tough to see that Bucks team really get past a, like a loaded Celtics team. Like they're, they've got their whole team that, and that's what the Celtics hang their hat on. They're deep. They can play a lot of guys. And uh, yeah, I just don't see uh, unless Giannis really steps it up and is averaging like 40 a game in these next few games. I don't think that they're going to find their way past the Celtics. So I like Boston in that one. We'll move on to the Western conference. We've got Suns versus Mavericks. What do you like? Um, the Phoenix Suns are going to keep rolling. I, I, I like the Mavericks. I, I really do. I like the Luka Doncic led Mavericks. They're just in over their heads and that's unfortunate. I think this is going to be, a big time wake up call for Mark Cuban and that entire Mavericks front office. They need someone else there with Luca. Luca is awesome, but he's, he's not going to be able to take it all on and win series like this. Phoenix is just so good. They've, they've overwhelmed Dallas in the first two games. And I think they're going to keep doing that. I, I don't think switching scenery from Phoenix to Dallas is going to change much. This Suns team is really good. And Memphis and Golden State have to be looking at that series. And I can't imagine they're happy. They, they have to be like, man, we're going to go through a really tough series and Phoenix is probably going to be rested up and waiting on whoever they get so that they can't be excited about that. But yeah, Phoenix, uh, probably big, to be honest. Yeah, I think Phoenix gets it done probably in four. I, I think just 
like you said, I'm going to echo a lot of what you said. Luca is just doing it alone at this point, and I don't think that that's good. It was ever a winning formula, uh, but especially not against a team like the Suns, who are built to to be a championship team, not just compete in the playoffs, but win a championship. And that's what they're on. I think they're on their way to doing right now. Uh, but I mean, you look at that lineup. I mean, you got Jalen Brunson starting at the one against Chris Paul. I mean, I don't get me wrong. Jalen Brunson has played really well this year. He's had a lot of breakout games. He is no Chris Paul by any means, and he is not going to be able to put up much of a fight against Chris Paul. And, and I mean, it just goes down the list like Dwight Powell against DeAndre Ayton. I know that like that matchup wasn't huge, but it's like there, there's a big difference in talent there. Dorian Finney-Smith against whoever, I mean, Mikael Bridges, Devin Booker, whoever he ends up having to face, it's very tough for him to get a leg up on anyone. So when you're relying on Luca to be your only advantage, it's a tough, it's a tough road. I mean, he can do as much as he can. He scored 35 in the last game. They still lost by 20. So I don't think uh, he's going to be able, there's just not enough that you can do to, to beat a team like the Suns. They can go to so many different people and beat you versus where we know where you're going. We know where the Mavericks are going. They have to go to Luca. So uh, it's been, it's been incredible to see what he can do, even with that type of attention. It's just, it's not going to be good enough for Dallas as a whole. So I, I agree with you there. Uh, I'm picking the Suns. Finally, we got Warriors. We got Grizzlies. Dylan, what are your thoughts on your big series? Um, this one, I I have no idea who's going to win this game. To be honest, because like I said, I hope this game, this series goes seven games, and I think this is a really important game. This game three, as they go in tied one one, um, with it shifting to California, this is a huge game for the Warriors. I think a lot of people they're they're maybe favoring the Grizzlies now with Gary Payton Jr. going down. And they're saying, like I said, Ja's going to have an advantage. He's not going to have that really good defender in Gary Payton Jr. He's going to be able to take advantage of matchups against Steph and Jordan Poole. I think the Warriors are going to see all this. They're going to use his bulletin board material. And they've been here before. The Grizzlies have not. And they've got that championship DNA. They've got Steph Curry, Klay Thompson. I mean, when Klay Thompson isn't having this huge impact on the game and he's still there just lurking, that's terrifying. When you know Clay can erupt at any point, the Warriors can go on those second-half avalanches. I fully expected the game three or game four to be a blowout Warriors win. And I'm going to say it's game three since we're recording and talking about game three. I'm going to go with the Golden State Warriors. I, I think this is going to be a series where they bounce back and forth, where they make adjustments. I think Ja, this could be a game where, and I hope I'm giving Ja Baltimore material, I think this could be a game where they they don't let Ja score 47 points. They try to force everything to everybody else, and it's a great – it works. It's great success, and uh, Golden State just overwhelms them. And I, I think it's something they can do. They did it to the Nuggets. They can definitely do it to the Grizzlies. So, yeah, I'm, I'm going with Golden State to take a 2-1 lead in game three on Saturday night. Who do you have in that one? Yeah, I, I think we have all the same picks because I'm going with the Warriors as well. I think uh, a lot of what I said in the Mavericks series kind of – reflects on this one when you're kind of relying solely on Ja, I, I think the the Grizzlies have a deeper lineup than the Mavericks do obviously but when push comes to shove when the Grizzlies are working it's because Ja is doing it all and that's I think while it works at times I mean you've got to you've got to have a special special player to do it and he works and it makes it work at, at times it's not going to work against a team like the Warriors. Like I said, they're, they're built too strongly. Uh, they're built to win championships, not just compete in the playoffs. Uh, like I said, with the Suns. Uh, I mean, you've got Steph, you've got Clay, you've got Draymond, you've got Jordan Poole, who is just 
seems like he can give you 30 at any point. It, it, it's really different to have those types of guys, especially off the bench, like Jordan Poole or, you know, guys like Clay who haven't been, you know, performing very well, but to be able to lean on them for an entire game at, at times is something that, you know, the Grizzlies don't have. They're not going to, le- other than like your once in 10 games from Desmond Bain, where he hits like eight of nine threes, I, there's no second option for the Grizzlies to lean on. And I think that's, that's always a big problem when it comes to the NBA playoffs. It's like once that other team figures out how to slow down your number one, then what do you got at number two? And I just don't think the Grizzlies have enough to, to get over the Warriors in this one. So I, I like Golden State. I like Golden State for the series. I think they're going to end up getting it done and moving on to the Western Conference Finals. All right. That's going to do it from us at the Dylan and Dylan Show. Dylan, any final thoughts before we take off? Uh, thanks again to Blake for coming on and doing a little AJ Brown therapy with me. Um, I watch, watch the NBA playoffs this weekend. Obviously tune into Memphis Golden State. Watch college baseball. Uh, the Tennessee Volunteers are awesome. They're playing a road series at Kentucky this weekend. You can find it on some kind of ESPN platform. Go on the app. It'll be on there. I promise it. It, it always is. Uh, it, they're just fun to watch. They hit so many home runs. Like, it's literally like every other bat's a home run. Just check out college baseball. Support it. It's getting really good. Like in the last year, I've really started paying attention. It's so much fun. It might be more fun than the MLB. You just have to tune in and watch it and get invested. Cause I have, and I'm all about it now. It's so much fun. So yeah, watch college baseball this weekend, but yeah, that's all from me. All right. That is going to do it from us here at the Dylan and Dylan show. Here's where you can find us. You can find the show at Dylan Dylan show on Instagram and Twitter. You can find tunnel vision sports at Instagram on Instagram at tunnel vision sports, underscore TikTok and Twitter at underscore TV sports, Facebook and LinkedIn at tunnel vision sports and on the web at TV sports I think Dylan has one more thing before we go. I have one more thing. I forgot last week. We talked about our favorite teams. The Tennessee volunteers got better this week. Brew McCoy, former top 10 recruit in the class of 2019, transferred from USC to Tennessee. The Vols are coming. Last week I said I was overreacting. The overreactions have gone to another level now. And I'll leave it. I'll leave you with that. The Vols are coming. All right. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. Have a great weekend, and we will see you next week. So long, everyone.